Good afternoon. My name is Faith and I'm the founder of the Global Women's Social Enterprise. Today, as part of our Youth Deliver series, we have Benjamin Walgwe with us. Um, I will invite Benjamin to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself before we jump into today's discussion. Welcome, Benjamin. Thank you very much, Faith. Um, my name is Benjamin Walgwe. I'm, I'm the CEO um, for Benjawa East Farm Limited. I'm a STEAM educator, social enterprise entrepreneur, a nature enthusiast, a lover of food, and a critical thinker. That's, that's basically who I am. Yeah. And Benjamin, you are from Kenya. Where in Kenya are you from? Are you, are you, are you, where do you, where are you located? What, what part of Kenya are you, are you, are you in right now? Um, I'm, I'm currently based in Nairobi. Awesome. And, and, you know, a lot of times we hear all these, you know, fantastic yeah. descriptions of Africa, right? I like to call it brand Africa. You know, you know, we all know what Africa has been branded as, so we're not going to get yeah. into that today. Um, but I want to start by asking you, what does your Kenya look like? Yeah. Um, to me, Kenya is many things. First of all, Kenya is home. So I'll start by saying Kenya is home, of course. Um, Kenya is a beautiful East African country, you know, famed for its scenic landscapes, vast wildlife. Uh, it also plays a major role in trade within the region, you know, um, based on its important ports. Um, you have the Mombasa port, and you also have um, the Lamu port, which is um, still in work. Um, although, based on my, my knowledge, I think um, it should be done pretty soon, you know. Um, Kenya is also famed for its long distance runners, which I think worldwide has put us on the, on the, on the world stage, you know. <laughs> we, we have pretty, pretty fast and long distance runners, you know. Um, Kenya, I, you know, many people may not know, but Kenya is also a leading producer of, of we, 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 are, we are famed for our agriculture also. Um, it's known for its tea, coffee. Uh, we are also the third leading exporter of fresh produce, such as cabbages, onions, mangoes, you know. Um, Kenya is also home to the second largest mountain, which is Mount Kenya, which is where um, our name, the country name is derived from, you know. Um, Last but not least, Kenya is also known for its warm and friendly people. That's how absolutely. I basically describe Kenya. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, today, you know, we're talking to you because you are one of our um, youth deliver ambassadors. You're also very passionate about the youth. And you are a very interesting person to talk to with regards to our youth deliver series because you're doing so much for the youth, not just yourself with the things that you do as a youth, but also reaching out and stretching out and bringing in the young ones into activities and, um, and things that can benefit them and help them develop and create opportunities for themselves in a very challenging, difficult environment. So I want you to tell us a little bit about 
um, you know, some of your programs that, you know, that you're doing on the ground there with the youth and also yourself and how you got involved in, in working with young people? Yeah, um, first and foremost, I'd like to describe Youth Deliver. You know, Youth Deliver um, is a, I would call it um, a children's mentorship or mentorship program. Um, it's a bi-monthly program that is centered around teens. Um, the, the program basically helps children understand and experience the world of nature and the environment using practical, artistic, scientific, and mathematical methodology. Um, the, the outcome basically of the program is to educate our young leaders on the importance of the environment as an integral part of our ecosystem, um, including our symbiotic relationships with nature. Um, the program includes both practical and theoretical sessions through fun and engaging activities, which include planting sessions, creative sessions where the children get to express themselves through art using nature as an inspiration. Um, we do, we have various activities, which um, if I'm to just give an example, we have excursions to places of interest, like botanical gardens, parks, agricultural facilities, um, education and academic institutions. Um, so I felt that this approach um, helps mold our future leaders into well-rounded individuals. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's and, and tell us a little bit, you know, you know, the, when it comes to the word STEAM or STEM, there's so many different, you know, these are acronyms and they mean different things to different people. Tell us about your particular STEAM ad program. I know how the program works. I know what those acronyms stand for, but walk us through the concept behind your STEAM ad. It is not STEM, everybody. It is STEAM ad, if you didn't catch it. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, so STEAM, for those who don't know, uh, basically is, um, it, it incorporates science, technology, the environment, arts, and mathematics. That's basically what we use um, when, we're, when we're approaching our, our program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how does, um, why did you decide to um, most people use the word engineering and you have environment instead and most people don't use the arts why did you decide to incorporate the environment and arts as part of your framework and teaching um, methodology um, i think um, the environment is a very important um, aspect of you know of of of, of our world if I'm to call it that. Because without the environment, I don't think we as human beings or animals would be in existence, you know? It's a symbiotic relationship that involves give and take. So our environment gives and we give back, you know? Or we give and the environment gives us back. So if you look at the oxygen that we breathe, you know, um, we breathe out carbon dioxide, and plants give us back, you know, oxygen. So without certain aspects of our environment, it would be very hard for us to sustain ourselves, even in regards to food, you know, 
what we receive on our plate on a daily basis. It's received from the environment, you know. So I think it's very important for our future leaders, the children of today, to get to understand and experience our environment and not just um, just exist, you know. There's existing and there's living. Yeah, so and you know one thing that is interesting when you talk about the environment, sorry, sorry, what did, can you finish your train of thought? Uh, no, I, I think I was done. Okay. Um, one yeah. thing that is also very interesting when you talk about the environment and um, nature and the importance of, you know, this symbiotic relationship that we have with our environment and nature, I find it um, very interesting that, you know, on such a rich continent such as Africa, um, you know, there's, there's even a conversation around food security. That is just so ridiculous. It's actually embarrassing at this point because we have, I think, 50% of the arable land, which means, you know, healthy, fertile, good land, um, is in Africa. And then this is the continent that is still discussing food shortage, food security. It's ridiculous at this point. As a farmer yourself, tell us, and a young farmer, I have to always add young because a lot of times, you know, young people, there's such, I understand certain challenges that, um, that come about when young people are trying to get into farming, such as land ownership, leasing of land, the cost of doing all that stuff. But as a young person who is also embracing farming, tell us what are some of the challenges that young people face and why is it that a continent such as Africa is still talking about food shortage, food security, and all these things that should not be part of the conversation on such a rich continent? With, with healthy soil and good quality land? So I'll start by, you mentioned a very important thing, which is food security. So I think I'd like to start from there. Um, I think food security is a very important thing for, for, for children to understand, you know, because they're the future. They're the ones who will be the keepers, you know, and, um, they, they, they will give direction to where the world will go in the future. So if they're going to be the future, they need to understand that it's very important to be self-sufficient, you know, especially when it comes to Africa. They need to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. You know, I believe Africa is the future and the answer to all our food problems because I think Africa feeds, I would say, the whole world, you know, and uh, we are basically the answer to that. Um, I think if we, if they're to reap the benefits of that simple aspect of Africa being um, the feeder of the world, you know, they need to start at a very, very early age, a very tender age, which is why we picked, um, we, we decided to deal with children rather than any other category, you know. So I think that is what I would mention for now in regards to food security, you know. Yeah, and as a young entrepreneur- I don't know whether um, I, I answered your question. 
Or, or, or... Yeah, you did. Yes, you did. You did answer the question. I think also as, as we as we have this conversation, this clip will be watched by many people around the world, as well as young people. And so also, as you answer my question, I think you've answered a lot of the questions that many young people have with regards to um, getting into farming and actually taking responsibility for the food they eat and what goes onto their plate. Um, there's nothing as beautiful, you know, as that, at least in my book, you know, I love gardening, I'm passionate about all that stuff. And I think that there's so much value and pleasure in consuming something that you grew yourself, but that's for a whole other um, topic. Now, when we talk about um, entrepreneurship and, um, you know, a lot of people tell the youth, oh, there are no jobs, so create your own jobs, which is also a bit unfair and ironic because we know that half the, half the time the people talking are employed themselves and telling the young people get a job you know and they have jobs talking and telling the young people if there are no jobs create one when they are on a payroll so we're not going to talk about that but you know we want i want you to touch on the double standard when people are advising the youth as to the steps that they can take to actually you know live a good and you know and high quality life so talk to us about what is the current situation of the youth in africa what is the status quo? What does it look like? Um, I think in Africa, number one, the youth um, are not taken seriously at all, you know, at all, at all, at all. Because if you look at um, the structure of Africa and its leadership, you'll find that you hardly find any young individual you had to find young people in leadership positions and it, uh, for lack of a better word i'll say that the the people who are currently holding those offices have no business being in those offices right now because they have been in office for god knows 30 years 20 years some 50 years you know someone to die on that chair without you know transpiring you know the leadership role so it's the youth have been marginalized totally in Africa, you know, and yet these are the the the, the uh, these are the people who are literally thinking outside the box. I think they have the ability to take Africa from where it is today to the next level, you know, because I think the people who are there now have been given the opportunity to take it to the next level, but they really haven't. So I think it's time that they. They, they transferred the power so that, you know, the young people can take Africa to where it needs to be, you know, that's, yeah. that's simply what I think, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, by now, you know, a lot of times, and I want you to touch on this, a lot of times when we talk about Africa, the other conversation that pops up, anytime you mention Africa, politics, democracy, corruption, it, it, pop, it, come, it shows its ugly head or the lack of and when when you um when this question is put across to government and government officials the 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 response most of the time is you know but we're a oh, young sorry sorry, sorry 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 do you, do you mind coming again I, yeah i, I, I was saying you. that a lot of times the conversation around Africa, when we talk about Africa development, the empowerment of the youth, what, what comes up is always politics, democracy, corruption, and you know, all the things that go with you know, what is supposed to be the challenge on the continent. And 
the response to this from governmental officials and from the you know, people who are you know, running these countries is we're a young democracy. You know, we just got independence in the 60s and we're still finding our way and, and you know, we're working on it, but don't expect so much from us because we're a young democracy. What are your thoughts on this? You know, should this continue to be the, you know, the narrative around why Africa is where it is today? That, oh, you know, we just got, most country, African countries got independence in the 60s. And so we are a young democracy because, you know, when I look at the youth, you know, they need a, they need a solution like yesterday because their life depends on it. You know, they're looking at their future and what they're seeing is not very promising. And the, the response they're getting is, we're a young democracy, we're working on it. Um, what is the solution? What can government do? What should, be, um, what should be top on the government's agenda, even as a young democracy? I think um, top on the government, list of things to do if if if, if i was asked I, uh, i'd say is to is to improve on 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 is to focus on industry you know because industry i think creates opportunities across the board whether you're looking at employment whether you're looking at production regardless of what you look at industry is the way to go now in africa the approach that they have taken is you find we are, we, we are generally a, a, a producing continent. We produce a lot of things, you know, um, whether it's agriculture, whether it's, if you look at minerals, if you look at everything, you know, we produce a lot of things and we have a lot of resources, you know. So I think in a nutshell, the way to go is to improve on our industry because you'll find the people in power, what they have done, is that it doesn't make sense for people, you know, you know, like, let me take a sector, we, you know, Kenya used to produce cotton, used to produce, you know, we, we, we produce sugar, we produce tea, we produce coffee, we produce, we used to produce pyrethrum. There's so many things we used to produce, you know, even a simple thing as supply of eggs, you know, you have people who are currently importing from neighboring countries. So if you eggs. import, specific things. Yeah, if you import specific things, yet you produce the same thing, what exactly are you doing? You know, and why is that the case? The because that's one thing that I want you to touch on as a farmer, because when we talk about, you know, this is another thing that also, you know, makes the youth very angry. Because when you import from other countries, Africa is importing food with 50% of the most arable land. <laughs> and that food that is being imported, we know 2018, 20, you know, 2019 was filled with scandal after scandal after scandal in Kenya about what is actually in the food. There was plastic rice, there was plastic cabbage, there was toxic sugar with carcinogens. Yet we have, like you said, sugar cane, which is your own raw cane sugar. You can, you know, many people are in the egg production industry. Right. I mean, really, what is going on? And this is why, you know, we have to start having some very serious conversations because, you know, you cannot be going, we are in the 21st century. 
We're talking about yeah. importing food with 50% of the arable land. We're talking to yeah. a farmer right so, now. So I think 70% of African uh, of Africans are small scale farmers. So there are farmers. Yeah. Why are we importing food? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. not regulating this food at that. I think I think the reason so <laughs> so I think number one it's a it's it's a very selfish approach. And I think we need to deal with that, you know, because you'll find that individuals who have who are in positions to make specific decisions and policies are the same people who are undercutting the farmers. Because you'll find someone 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 would set up you know a, a company, and the same person is the is the one importing this produce and undercutting the same farmer, rather than you know helping the farmer um, through different ways to to be self sufficient and to also uh, help grow the economy. Because these same people give back in terms of tax. And, and so many other things, you know. So you'll find that the government is also losing on, on very important things, and you expect the same people to still pay your tax, which is how the government basically makes its revenue, you know. So number one, I don't have, I don't have access to markets because you've flooded the market with imports. So I am stuck with my produce on the farm, which means that I have to look for means and ways to sell my produce, and the, the, the price that I'm going to sell my produce at is basically throw away, you know? So I'm not really making money. And then you come back and expect me to pay taxes, which is not sustainable, you know? So in turn, when the government is not making enough taxes, they're going to increase tax to be able to sustain themselves, or they're going to include other different ways of, of, of taxing the people. But the same people you're taxing are the same people who are, who are majority of them are producers, they're farmers. That's who they are. So, so what is happening is, what I'm seeing here, yeah, what I'm seeing here is the commodifying of poverty. You're creating a system, you know, with 70% of Africans who we know are farmers, maybe let's say 60%, let's have a very neutral yeah. number, but it's more than 60% are farmers, small scale farmers. In that percentage, they don't own the land, they're leasing the land. So they lease the land, so they have some kind of debt, or they took a loan, put something as security to buy the land. So they have some kind of debt. And so when they go, they produce their food, we know the challenges of farming, drought, rain, water shortage, all these things, they've overcome all that, now they have a product. Now it's time to take the product to the market, after going through this whole process, because food doesn't grow overnight, they have to go through the seasons, the growth seasons, they're putting all the work, now it's time to put it, take it to the market. And then they are met by flood, a flood of imported, cheap, unregulated food produce. So they have to then sell theirs at a knockoff price, which is the real good food, which has been grown on the 50% of the arable land with good, healthy, nutritious soil and then you know sell it at a throwaway price or you know it will go bad you know most of the food is perishable you know is perishable what is going on because now they have a challenge at their hand because they cannot pay off their debt they, they don't have enough money 
So they are now going into bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger debt. And that's why when you talk to farmers, most of them are not don't have a big fat smile on their face, you know, because they 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 you know we don't understand the whole value chain, the challenges they're facing at each stage of the farming. And I think that you need to tell us what should the government focus on to ensure that farmers have what it needs to feed the people on the continents known as Africa. Because then that is why now you're talking about food security and food shortage, but it shouldn't be like that. Yes, so number one on the list, I would say is agriculture slash farming is a very costly affair, you know, and it's a patience game. And there, with, with various factors involved, which is climate change, we are no longer, we've reached a time where we, we are no longer in control of our climate. Because whereas farmers could depend on rainfall, it's no longer sustainable to depend on rainfall. So you need things like irrigation systems. Those are not cheap systems, okay? You need, um, it, it, depending on what you're growing, if you're in vegetables, you know, you may decide to, to, to go the, 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 what is it called? Um, the, the greenhouse way, you know? That's also something else that your, your, your normal local farmer cannot afford. You know, you have machinery, there's labor involved, you know, there's, there's seed, there's, there's fertilizer, whether, whether you're using um, chemical fertilizer or, or organic fertilizer, there's still a cost unless you're going to have cows and sustain yourself, you know. There's a cost at every single point and stage of, of, of the farming process. So I, I think, number one, you have an influx of foreigners who come, who, who have uh, the machinery, they have the capital to come and do intensive farming, okay? And there's no regulation towards that, you know? So someone comes and whatever, whether they're given kickbacks or whatever it is, they access, you know, they access the market and they have, they have all, all, all the tools to, to, to do whatever they want to do. So the, 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 the local farmer, you know, the small scale farmer is left on the sidelines, like, whoa, what just happened, you know? And his neighbor is, is farming on 7,000 acres, you know? What is he supposed to do? Yes, the, the government we know is the not 60 to 70% are farming on less than an acre. Yeah, so, so the government is not subsidizing specific things for the farmer. They're not offering machinery, whether, whether you know, at a, at, a, at a lesser cost, you know, if I'm to wake up and leave machinery, uh, there are no options, you know. The government, I think, can do a better job in helping the farmer, whether it is seeds, whether it is fertilizer, whether it is machinery, whether it is irrigation, you know, whether it is access to land, there's so many things I think the government can do, but they're just not doing it because they're in competition with the farmer. You know, the government cannot be in competition with the farmer. <laughs> that, that does not work. You know, you're supposed to help the farmers produce. The government's role needs to be selling, I think, you know. If they, if they woke up and said, produce, give it to us, and we will sell it on your behalf, and we will guarantee this price, then I think you're helping the farmer. But if you're not doing that, of course, the, the, you know, your agricultural industry is going to collapse, which will be a very sad affair 
especially for Kenya. Yeah. But but will it be a you, sort you, of you fair? Need to, you, you need to you, you you need to they need to create factories. You know, if you look at the coastal region, I think there are certain things that they grow. You know, they grow cassava. You know, if these people have crops that grow in a certain region, put up for them a factory. You know, to be able to process and 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 create value addition for the cassava, not just selling in the market. You know, there are many uses for cassava. You can eat it. You can you you, you can process it into flour. You know, you can process it into snacks. You 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 can you, you can combine it. You can you can combine it with different things to make fortified flour. You know, there, there's so many things you can do with it. But some of it goes to waste. You know, cassava can even be used to make ethanol. There's so many things that they can do. And that but is what actually is it. annoying the youth because the knowledge of the skill and the innovation, it is not lacking. Every other day, when you look at Africa Business Daily, you're seeing people who are make, building cars from scrap, moving cars from scrap, using fuel or a battery. I mean, think about if the governments of Africa just decided to invest in their people. And I think we should talk about what government means. I think Africa has lost its way in terms of governance. What does it mean to govern? Because when you were talking about, um, you know, it will be a sad affair for Africa, especially Kenya, if, you know, the farmers are actually, you know, at some point they might lose everything because, you know, I, I, I just briefly, and it was really a summary and overgeneralization, but I walked you through the challenges of the, of the value chain. And so if things at the end of your value chain are not working and you are always on red, at some point you will be out of business. You know, your land will be taken from you because like I told you, they're leasing the land or they have a loan and they're paying for this land. They, they have debt. And so maybe we should talk about what it means to govern because I think this is the problem. The government, what is the role of the government? Do governments in Africa know what their role is as a government and what governance I think, I think means? I think for me, in a nutshell, without going too much into detail, I would simply approach governance in the ability to protect your people's needs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you as the government, your money. There was a connection problem. So please repeat what you said. There was a connectivity issue. Please repeat what you said. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I said to me the definition, you know, the, the, the simplest definition of governance is to protect the interests of your people. You know, if you're not protecting the interests of your people, and these are the same people who put you in the in, in the same seat, okay, then you have no business being there at all. You have no business being in power, you have no business running a government because you don't even understand the simple um, base, the simple basis of what governance is, you know. You know, when 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 you when you get into power and 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 you'll be, you you have been tapped to run the government, I think first of all you should look at what you're about, what 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 the country is about. Are you producers? Are you are you service oriented? What 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 is it? You know, because what what Africa Africa is a breadbasket. They need to understand that, number one. 
Yeah, but a somewhere, bread somewhere basket else. for who? A bread basket for who? Because, you know, I, I lost track of looking at the data on the, the amount of people starving on the continent or hungry on the continent or, you know, not eating nutritious food because it is just, at this point, it is realistically, let's just be real, it is embarrassing. You know, when you say Africa, Africa is a paradox to me. And I and people know when you talk to faith, a lot of times I, this word always comes up because you said it's a bread basket. A bread basket for who? Is it a bread basket for African um, people? Because I know some Africans, it really is a bread basket. It is the it is a heaven. <laughs> so don't get don't get me wrong. There's a there's a, there's a, there's a percentage of Africans who are benefactors of of the beauty and the natural resources on this continent. You know, they can confidently say it's a bread basket for them. But we know what the data says, we know what the statistics say. This is not the collective on the continent that can confidently say this honestly, that Africa is a bread basket and they're reaping the spoils of this rich continent. Um, is it a bread basket and for who? I think it's a breadbasket for Europe and, and, and every other place outside of Africa. So uh, now the, you, you bring up a very interesting topic because now we have to go back to, you know, to the beginning, which is from colonial, for colonial era. Now, from that point, I always ask the question, did we really get independent? Because you cannot say you're independent yet the same people are still here and they control majority of what, 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 what our countries are about. You know, if you look at the agriculture, the Kenyans, because let me just speak about Kenya. Majority of the people who are actually running the agriculture industry and the large players in the export industry in Kenya are actually foreigners. They're not even Kenyans, okay? And you have yes some 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 people who are actually Kenyan, but they inherited this from the colonial era, you know. And I, I don't I simply don't think it's, it's it's right, you know. I don't think it's right because I always say you cannot you you cannot just storm into someone's home. Someone has to open the door. So the problem is also our leaders. These people didn't just show up, you know. <laughs> so that's 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 a that's a very interesting topic which I think we would spend a lot of time on. <laughs> but yeah, I we would it, spend I, ages. I it, yeah. So so I think I, I think we have to go back to where the problem started and then start correcting it from there. Because where we are today, it's very difficult to correct that. You know, we are already knee deep in the problem. We are knee, knee deep. deep. I, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. more. Or rather, let me say, let, let me say, let me say, waist deep. <laughs> from the top of going up, I think that that's 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 the little window we have to correct. But yeah, we are we are deep. This is quicksand. We are in quicksand right now. And you know what? And, um, you know, uh, and, 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 and the good thing is we're not already engulfed in it. There are so many people who are trying to shift the narrative and, you know, 
change this mindset because you know you mentioned you know the colonial past and all this and independence is not a piece of paper remember how you got colonized people you got colonized because your mind and your mindset was hijacked okay you had your you know right now if you ask an african because a lot of africans are either you know muslims or christians or all you know something of that you know, different religions. If you ask people, what, who were you praying to before colonialism? They don't know. That is what colonialism does. It wipes out your history and your connection to what you were. So you don't remember. You, they, people don't know. They don't know what was before yeah, so, colonialism, yeah. what existed before. And, and yeah. you know, you mentioned that we should go to the beginning. And, and you know, for me, I think we should, you know, you, you said to the colonial history. I think now at this point where Africa is, when I look at the, you know, you know, the colonization of the mind, I actually think that they should go before, before, before. Because before colonialism is when we start seeing, you know, the pyramids in South in, in Sudan. You know, these are older than I think Egypt. They are more than in Egypt. Nobody talks about those. Nigeria has remnants of pyramids. Mali, let's not even talk about yeah. what's going on there. Congo. This is what we call before colonialisms. And who built those? You know, that was science, technology, innovation. That was in the Africans. But after colonialism, there's no memory. You don't remember, you know, so you see Africans, you know, using, uh, you know, cartwheel, you know, you know, chariots. And I'm thinking, do you know you built the pyramids? Do you know that you are, you know, look at Mali, you know, you know, I think the oldest universities were in what was then called Africa before all these demarcations. So, you know, this is the problem, but there is still a window of opportunity to fix this, but it will require that you put in the work and it will also require that you start to have honest conversations because you celebrate independence across the continent, but your currencies are pegged to your colonizers. So you are not independent because you have to you're still pay almost, you know, you know, it could be the same as paying tithes. You know, you're still paying tithes, you know, and I'm using this very loosely. But, you know, you have to be honest as Africans. You have to be honest because, and the youth are calling you to task. They're putting you to task. And that's why I think the youth have been marginalized because when I talk to young people, they know who they are. And that is why they don't, they're not drinking the Kool-Aid. They have a lot of knowledge. They're very proud of their history because they know what their history is. They know, you know, what we call the true history. The youth are really, and you mentioned the youth are the ones who can really fix this problem. You know, I, I, I really believe that because they have a different mindset. A lot of the people who are running Africa were, grew up in the colonial time. So this is, them. it's so deeply ingrained. You know, they grew up during the colonial time, but now the youth have grown up in a new world where you know, they had access to social media, they could access libraries globally, you know, they've, they've gone to school and learned African studies, they understand so much more. You know, when I talk to the young people on the continent, it is amazing how brilliant they are. You know, they're so brilliant. And I think they've been marginalized because there's a generational disconnect the, the ones who are governing Africa have an old colonial mindset almost, 
And when they talk to the youth, they can't hear. They can't. It's like they cannot understand what the youth are telling them because they are on a different wavelength. It's like trying to connect, you know, one cable to an to a socket, but it's an it's a European cable, and you're connecting to an American socket. That's how I see it. It, it cannot fit. Is this, you know, am I getting it right? Because I am not, you know, I would not be considered youth. I'm a seasoned woman. But when I talk to young people, I am so amazed by their brilliance. And I can see the disconnect. These sockets, they are not fitting. You're using a European socket, put in an American, you know, outlet. It will never enter unless somebody decides to change the cable or the socket. Which one should it be? Benjamin, you're the youth talking to, you know, this other side of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, so number one, I think, I, think, I think the youth are tired of just giving, giving, giving. Because Africa has been given and given and people have been taking, 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 you know. And what you get in return is sheer nothing. Not even a thank you, <laughs> you know. So I think number one, um, that is that is going to shift the moment you start seeing the youth taking specific positions, and the moment the youth starts being taken seriously. Because um, uh, I think the youth have also played their part in fighting for their fighting to be heard across the continent. If you look at South Africa, you have people like Julius Malema. If you look at Uganda, forgive me, but uh, you have Bobby Wine. If you look at Kenya, you have people who have been fighting, you know, you have the activists. You have people like Wangari Matai, as, long as, she, as much as she was not youth, but she fought for the environment and she paid the price with her life. A heavy price. That woman paid a heavy price. Mm. Yeah, you know, she, she, she had run in battles with the government. She, she really fought for the environment. You know, and 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 she 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 also helped I guess the, the youth because um, the people surrounding her were not but were not all old, you know, and the people who uh, who she was trying to pass this knowledge to, you know, were not old, you know, and the people I, I assume who are running her foundation today, at that point by the time. She was passing on are not old you no. know so she entrusted she entrusted specific things with the youth she gave because she understood that the youth are the custodians yeah you mm -hmm. know and you have you you have things places like uhuru park you know that she fought for you know and these are recreational parks that that if if if, I, if, if she decided just to give up on her fight I think it would be a different story today. We'd be seeing, you know, high rises and buildings and all that. But we don't even understand the the the, the sheer fact that if we eliminate certain things, we we are doomed, you know. Because you are, you have what what are catchment areas? Trees play a part, you know. Animals play a part. Yes. Kenya is one of the. I think it's it's the only city with the national park within the city. Like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're driving and you have, you know, you have a buffalo on the side of the road and you have a giraffe on the other side. So it, it, it's crazy. And 
I, I think we need to we need to pay more attention to our environment. We need to pay more attention to certain things, you know. And that's how we'll start to see specific change, you know. And we also have I had a conversation with someone. Um, I, I won't really mention his name, but he's a foreigner, and he actually told me dead straight to my face. Until you people, you people being Africans, solve your own internal problems, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we will keep on taking. You cannot blame us for taking. We will keep on taking. But like you because said, they're not taking. Somebody has opened the you door. Know? You know, that's why I always, I'm, I'm an advocate for accountability. And I'm not an advocate for blaming anybody. Because this is, you know, we all understand that we're in a society which is based on but not all, of course, but, but majority of economies are running on capitalism. What does capitalism really mean? It means, you know, winner, there, there has to be a winner, there has to be a loser in order for capitalism to work. It's, it's highly competitive, you know, economic structure. Now there's socialism, there's communism, there's all, then, you know, there's a mix and blend of some one or two of, you know, over, but capitalism it, is what we are at now. So based on that, you cannot blame somebody who's using a system that is in their country or in their economy to come and make the best out of, you know, their situation. And so, like you said, the door has been opened. Nobody's robbing Africa. So Africans change your language. Nobody's looting Africa. Nobody's robbing Africa. There is an exchange. There is permission. Okay. There is, um, there, there is lack of accountability from those who are allowing this to happen. There is permission. There is permission. Okay. So you made a really good point. Nobody is looting. Nobody is stealing. And, and you know, yeah, I was okay. talking to, when I talked to, I, I remember talking to some, you know, African-Americans and, you know, they were talking to me about their own history or, you know, about slavery and, you know, the African connection. And they said, you know, you know, we talk about, and she actually told me something very interesting. She said, we talk about, you know, um, reparations and compensation from, you know, the US and America, but how about the Africans who sold us? No wonder they didn't come for us because they gave us away. Those were her words. <laughs> she said, no wonder, you know, when you're stolen, people come looking for you. Oh, you know, when you're no. kidnapped, people come looking for you. But when someone sold you and when they give you away, they're not looking for I, you. I, they know what happened. <laughs> Go on, Benjamin. <laughs> so I, I think when it comes to the African-American um, context, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, topic, in my opinion, because I have a different approach to it. Mm -hmm. okay? And the approach that I, that, that I have, and anyone can feel free to correct me, it's just my thoughts and how I think. I don't, the, the slave trade on its own, I think is also, has also been corrupted. You know, the story behind the slave trade, I think has been corrupted. Because I think you'll find a good chunk of African-Americans, they just don't know their history. That's true. And you'll find that they are actually indigenous that you'll find that they're actually indigenous to America. Many of them, many so are indigenous to America. Yes, they, I they, agree. Yeah. 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 But so they just don't, they just don't know. And that's a, it's been hidden from them. So whereas they're trying to come back to Africa, 
in my opinion, I'm like, why are you coming back? You're leaving your home to come to a different <laughs> continent. <laughs> you know? So it's true. I, I, Not everybody <laughs> should be you know, in, in back. quest for yeah, in quest yeah. Not everyone. Not, not everyone. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that slave trade did not exist. It existed. It's still there till today. But but I you agree know, with you that slavery, not to the capacity but, that it's marketed to the African American. It was not to that extent, you know. And it doesn't actually make exactly, any logical exactly. sense, you know. Why would you do? I mean, anyway, we're not going to go into that. Like you said, we could take forever. But I agree with you. That's a very good exactly. point to make. That not everybody exactly. So. So I was confused when I, I see the mass migration back to Africa. I'm trying to find my roots. I'm trying to find this. But I'm like, your roots are in America. Your roots are in Europe. Your roots are wherever. You need to figure out your roots. You know, the, your, home, your home is not Africa. You know. So you have people who are coming. And of course, they're going to take advantage true. of that. Because, yeah. So you find some Africans also taking advantage of that because if, if you have a celebrity who's in their quest for finding their roots and yeah, you'll find someone in Guinea saying, oh, you know, welcome, please come, come here. But the person is like, damn, that person is also coming with specific things, you know. Which yeah, African-Americans, they need to really do their research on about Africa before they make that move I, I think because like you said you know a, a lot of the African countries that are saying welcome they're not looking at you as somebody finding their roots or whatever maybe some of course I can't, I'm generalizing not everyone you know thinks like the, what I'm about to say but I think they're looking at you as foreign direct investment you know mm -hmm. that is how they're looking so, at you so yeah. do your research and also yeah. I also say that before you make that move you have to know that Africa is very much tribal uh, most countries are very tribal. So when you come as an African-American, you, you know, already they're operating within the countries. Let's not, we're not even going to go into the cross-border differences and, you know, you know, you need a visa to go to Nigeria. You know, that is already not working. So, and within the countries, they're, they're tribal clusters. So, you know, for example, Kenya has its tribal issues. So imagine you came from the U.S., and then you, you said, you know, my roots are in Kenya. And then you find people are operating economically, socially based on their tribal clusters. Where do you fit in? You fit in as the other. So you become that foreigner, you know, that expatriate, although you came home, you see? So you have to now deal with another dimension. Now, some tribes are very nice. They will adopt you. <laughs> We've seen that happen and give you a name. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, you can tell us. We've met people who've been yeah. adopted by a certain tribe and they have that name and they speak the language, and, you know, but these are the things that you should know about Africa. Oh. Africa is very cool, but it's also very complex. I would say do your research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very It's very, very complex. Africa is very complex. It's not as simple as people think. No, no. it's not. It has its own complexities that come with it. Yeah, but I think, and, Benjamin, you've made such a yeah, good point I, I, about the natives. You are native to the Americas. You, you are, yeah, many of you. you know, mm. yeah, yeah, so but according to them, they say Native Americans, and they look at the Red Indians as Native Americans. Nope. But mm -mm, 
you know, I think even the explorers, we need to question these explorers, I think. We need to really figure out what these explorers are about. Because, you know, in, 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 one, in one story, you, you hear documentation of the, the person is crossing the Americas and they actually document and say, you know, we have dark-skinned people. So who are these people? Where did they come from? You know, they didn't come on slave ships. You know, if you look at the if you look at the naval system, you know, Africans were exploring way before, you know, in dugout canoes, and they were just using the currents to arrive in different continents. You know, so yeah, I think Africans yeah. have been exploring way before Europe. Yeah, do your research, African Americans. Yeah, do your research, um, so, because and so, that is why yeah. when you, when they talk about African Americans, they always start with the slave story. And this is so bad because I, when I always see all these slave movies and slavery story and that, you know, you know, Martin Luther King, all this, and I'm not, I have nothing against him, but I'm just saying, this is not where your story begins, African-Americans. You are ancient to the Americans. Your story begins way before slavery. Because there's also, there, yeah, there's, a, yeah, there's also a narrative they're selling with all this slave stuff. When you look at the slave movies, you look at slave talk, you look at specific terminologies towards black people, you look at, it's a narrative they're selling. And if you it's actually it. believe in that narrative, then you yeah. start having a complex, which is inferiority complex. Yes. You know, and victimization complex. Yes. Yourself yes, victimization. And the world sees you as a slave. And so yeah. even they feel sorry. Yeah, you've been watching your ancestors. Yeah. Yeah, so you've been watching your ancestors being whipped every day, you know, and, and there's a way that they, 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 they handled it. They would pick out the strongest and they would actually molest this person, you know. So they break you down as an individual because the rest are going to fall in line because that's who they look up to in their society. So they're like, whoa, if they have managed to break this person down, then who am I to actually fight? But that's not the case, you know. You have to understand all this stuff, everything that has been said to us, you know. Our televisions are pumped with a lot of, <laughs> I don't even know, you know. I, I, I don't want to say Africa is doomed, but if we continue on the trajectory that we are going, then we are, we are, we are truly doomed. And that comes so also to, to what I that. always like to, to talk about, and that is brand Africa. And again, we are not on a victimization mode. We are on a, a mode of accountability. You know, you know, Africa has, yeah. you know, you, you, you got, you, so you say you got independence in 1960. So why aren't you telling your narrative? Why aren't you talking about the beautiful cultures in Africa? Why aren't you showing Africans, you know, as they are, you know, people who travel to, you know, I have a lot of friends here when they travel to Africa, they're like, oh my God, they're always so shocked because what they have seen on television for years and years and years is nothing. Well, well, <laughs> it's nothing like when when they actually arrive there you know you know a yeah. lot of them even are very surprised by the high intellect because they they expect you to be highly uneducated very needy and so when they see a woman at the marketplace with her mobile telling you know you got to do mobile pay she's in the market it's a paradox she's in the market <laughs> in a makeshift but she's like can you mobile pay? so they're very surprised yeah. Why should this be? Uh, why should? Why is this still the case today? So, number one, I think I think um, Africa in itself has a lot to offer the world, especially even 
to a simple thing as pharmaceuticals. Okay, you have pharmaceuticals. Why why are herbalists still? It's like a taboo, you know. You're, you're a herbalist, but you'll be called a, a, a witch doctor. You know? <laughs> so I I respect I res, I respect South Africa for one thing. Okay. Yeah. They are actually the Sangomas who are actually fighting for them to practice openly, okay? Because before, before pharmaceuticals, before all this, there are answers. Nature will give you answers to everything. But that so is again when aiming, we talk about, Benjamin, you know, when we talk about before colonialism, this has been wiped out. It was eradicated. Yes. So there's no memory. There's no memory of what you yes. did before. And so that's why I'm saying when we talk about African history, you cannot go to the colonialism or during or before. You have to go way back. Then you will not exactly. shun the abolist. You will not look down upon you know, the foods you used to eat that were not cancer-causing foods. You must go way back. Exactly. Way back. Exactly. You know, there, there's, I, I think there's a lot of hidden practices and hidden mysteries. In, in this continent. There's a lot of mystery in this continent. And the people, the keepers of this mystery, you know, are, are, are known to whoever knows them, you know. Um, if you take cultures like the Maasai, who I think are, are well known across the world, you know, right now as I speak, they, they, they practice, you know, they practice. You, you don't find a Maasai going to a chemist and saying, give me chloroquine. No, hardly would you find that. <laughs> They'll concoct their own herbs in, 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 you know, in the savanna or wherever it is that they are at that particular point, and they'll figure themselves out and move and, and continue. You know? And I think that's how they've lived. So what is so wrong about that? Why do you need uh, all these pharmaceutical companies? I think we need to focus on ourselves. You have Madagascar who have figured out their own. You know, they, they respect their habits. To come up with their stuff. Tanzania, they, you know, they take they, they've taken a herbal approach to even something uh, like, like coffee. But this but comes a, back yeah, again to the mindset. You know, you mentioned Madagascar and the African countries themselves were laughing and mocking Madagascar's research before they even had, you know, took it, you know, before they even looked at the plant, tested the plant, they were mocking it. This is the mindset that if it's a made by an African, it's a quackery, it's not good, it's, you know, they mocked it. And, and I, I found that very interesting. And this is why I tell everybody, you must read all books on decolonizing the mind as Africans, because I, 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 I don't know about the medicine in Madagascar, but I will not criticize it before I have checked it in my laboratory and proved that it is not what it says it is. But when somebody tells you we have an African solution made by Africans for Africans and your response is instant rejection. But when you're told we have a tablet from Europe or from America, or whatever, your first response is it is great. There is something wrong with critical thinking. You need to yeah. send to everybody, take whatever has been given to you, research it, break it down to the smallest component and test it to know that it is good and what is they say it is, is what it is before you give it to your people. And when I saw the criticism with, you know, the abolists in Tanzania, the abolists in, in, in Madagascar, I realized that once more, we have to go back to the drawing board and decolonize the mind because the people who are mocking these researchers did, had not tested the medicine. 
They had not tested it. They had not researched it. They had not analyzed it, but they put a stamp of disapproval. And that to me is not using the mind of a scientist. That to me is being un-African in your thought process. And so I challenge all Africans, before you put a stamp of disapproval on products that are African made by Africans, which were gonna cost you not so much, and we're going to probably cure you, but all you had to do was research it, take it, analyze it, study it, and then put your stamp of approval or disapproval. But what happened? They mocked them, they criticized them, and it was almost like affirming that nothing good can be done by Africans. This is a mindset issue. Let's talk about that mindset. How can we yeah, fix it? So, 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 so I, to me, the biggest problem, the mindset. So it, it, yeah, so, so, so it's, good you, it's good you say that because I think um, we, I, I'll, I'll say one thing, and I, and I hope it's not misconstrued. I'm not against the, the, the Hubble market. I'm actually for it, but I think it can be handled in a better way. Because when it comes to things like dosage and things like that, hence where the research comes in. That's all they're saying. Determine. You didn't have to just say what, for or yeah. against. You had to study it, analyze it, and then exactly. find out what works. But don't just say it's garbage. It's from exactly. Madagascar. There is quackery. Exactly. That is not critical. Exactly. So exactly. So you have specific Hubble products, okay? And if I'm to give an example, let me say moringa as an example, okay? I believe it's a miracle tree, in my opinion. I personally use it you know, um, on a on a regular basis. And, you know, it does many things, even to uh, to, to to the tone of reducing, you know, your, your blood pressure, which is something I personally have experienced, you know. But in terms of the dosage, that is what, you know, the pharmaceuticals use to fight the Hubble industry because it's rogue and it's all this stuff. So I think um, our leaders, the government, that's where they come into play. And all they have to say is stop practicing in the shadows. Come out, let's help you do research of these things. You know, we can help you in the process, packaging, whatever, and get it out to market. Not even within the country, but even outside of the country and outside of, of the continent. Because I think, yeah. And, and to I think, the world, I and add to the world. Yeah. My thing is, I also yeah. like us to move collectively, as, as, you know, collectively, globally with the right mindset. Why can't it go also to the West? If this product was an herb that is organic, it's healthy, it's good, and it could help solve this pandemic, then everybody needs it. Yeah. And every country should have yeah. their responsibility, should be responsible enough to study it, analyze it honestly and ethically. And then yeah. if it is seen, like you said, the dosage and everything, Find out what works and then give it to your people. Who says Africa cannot support, you know, you know, export medicine and science? We yeah, have to so, start being yeah, honest so, so, globally. And I think globally also there has to be a shift in the mindset. Globally. Globally also. We, I think we have also to the be, West has we, we to decolonize their mind. Yeah, so we have to believe in us by us for us. Number one. We have to believe in, in that, number one, before we can even say, let's deal with the rest. For as long as we don't believe in those three things, we have a problem. Because you, you, even the youth that we're talking about right now, they believe everything good comes from the West, okay? 
everything good, everything important comes from the West, whether it is education, whether it is pharmaceuticals, whether it is regardless of what you look at, even entertainment in the West. Yeah. But if you look at entertainment, most of it started in Africa to a simple thing as dance, the movement, the instrument, you know, most of it started. If you look at art, most of it started, you, you know, you have crazy carvings, you have whatever, but all those were stolen. They're stuck in museums, you know, and which also has our history as people, you know. So all that was taken away. So it, it's a form of brainwashing. If you don't know who you are, then I can manipulate you to be whoever I want you to be. It's like a child. A child will just grow up knowing what the parents teach them and what they're taught in the environment, you know, but they will never know what they're capable of unless it's, they're also shown what they're capable of. But if I have taken all your history and everything that you're about, it's difficult also to understand who you are and how great you are as an individual, as a continent. It's very difficult to understand, you know? Yeah. So and what is the solution? What is the solution? How come the young people? Because I, I, I'm now looking at the young people because, you know, you know, when you were talking about the mindset of the young people, you know, I still think there is an opportunity. There is that window of opportunity to be able to shift the narrative and, you know, help them understand really who they are and how they should be viewing themselves relative to their future and their responsibility for themselves. Actually, when I'm talking to the youth, I want you to know that you are actually responsible for your future. Because at the end of the day, if nobody does anything for you, what's going to happen to you? Are you going to sit back and just say, you know, oh, well. So how can we shift um, this narrative when you're talking, when you, when you were mentioning, you know, the mindset of the young people, you know, with their, you know, with also the colonized mind, how can we fix this? How can this be fixed? Um, I think number one, it's, uh, everything starts with interest. Okay, you have to be interested in who you are. No one can force you, and no one can put that down, shove it down your throat. You have to be interested. And the youth, we can keep on talking, we can keep on making noise, but you have to have an interest. And probably when the people above you see that you have a genuine interest, because there are people who are just sitting waiting and waiting to be asked. You know, if you see no one has an interest then you cannot, I cannot entrust you with specific things because you have no interest. You're going to collapse it, you know? So if you have an interest, then you start seeing people saying, okay, you have a genuine interest and you're willing to take this to the next level. So here are the keys to this because I think that you can actually take this to the next level. But if you're not showing me interest and you're not showing me capability and you're not showing me specific things, why am I going to bother, you know? I'm going to give it to someone else wow. who may not even be, you know, indigenous to Africa or Kenya or whatever. Wow. I'm going to give it to someone else because that person, I have a thought process in my mind and I have a thought process of where I want to see this place going, you know. So I am going to say, you know what, if these people here cannot take this to the next level, how about this? Let me invite a German. Let me invite a, a British person. Let me invite an American person to come and implement the things that I want to do. Hence, we have experts. Because we don't even believe in our own. You find people going to hospital in Europe and you know, people, people hate 
some people hate Putin, but I think Putin is just, he's just real. He calls it as it is. And he said, Africa is a graveyard because our money is out. We go outside to, to, to get our children educated. We go outside to get treated. And then we come back to Africa to be buried, which is a very sad affair. You know, that's, that's real talk in my opinion, you know. So we, we, that's, I think that's the only way we can, we can shift it. It starts with interest. We have to be interested in who we are as people. We need to do research into who we are, you know, and it's not just about Africans here. We have Africans in diaspora who have access. They, they, they know where our artifacts are. They know where all these things are. Go there, figure out, do your research, ask, push, and get it all back. You know, because those things cannot just remain there. These are part of us, who we are. And these things are across the board. It's not Kenya, it's not Sudan, it's not whatever. It's across the board. You know, there's, there's Kenyan history out there. There's Ugandan history out there. There's Sudan history out there. There's Congo history out there. There's African history out there. But until we bring it all yeah. back and until we have an interest yeah, until we, have, we show that we have an interest, until we show that we can be custodians of all this stuff, then we will start to reap the benefits until we are able to look at ourselves as one, not as separate people, you know, because we are all the same, regardless of where you go. We are all the same. The languages are intertwined, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, if you look at the Luo in Kenya and you look at, you, you have similar people in Sudan, you have similar people in Congo, you know, and the languages in Uganda. Are different. You can understand. You have Bantu, yeah, you have Bantus, you know, and across the board, you go to Congo, you go wherever. So what, what exactly are we doing? We are fighting each other. You're fighting yourself. That's what you're doing. <laughs> we are one and the same thing. So until we can understand and until we are willing to embrace that we are actually one, then we will realize that we don't even need borders. It will just be one huge country. But I don't know how that is going to work because I don't know which president is going to agree to become a governor of a region. I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we have to deal with our we have to deal with our selfish nature. Not even as Africans, but as human beings. We are very selfish people, I think. And it's all you about have made, you have you have you have actually I mean, you've dropped so many gems and I hope, I actually think, you know, if you're watching this, I think you have to watch it twice and maybe three times to actually hear what has been said here today. You know, one thing that you've said that is very, very interesting and I, I'm, I'm one for accountability, you know, victimization, we get it, but you know, young democracy, we get it. However, the world is not waiting for you to figure things out. The world is moving on. And you know what Benjamin said, which is very interesting, and this is for the young people as well. And I think it also applies to you know, the more seasoned people is interest. You have to have the interest. If you don't have the interest to know who you are, then you will be in the dark. And when you don't know who you are, anything that is presented to you is just good enough. If you don't know as a young African that you your ancestors probably built the pyramids in Sudan, or in Egypt or wherever, in Mali, they, they're all over the continent anyway, um, then you don't know that that is where your potential lies and those are your capabilities. And so people will continue selling you fortune cookies. So my thing is, Benjamin said something so interesting and he said something which was very, very deep. And that is, if somebody's goal and purpose is to develop a continent, 
and to maintain it, you know, the, the continent at its highest level. If that person comes from, you know, Tasmania, then he's willing to work with that person because the goal is to maintain the nature conservation. So if that person shows interest in preserving all the nature, for example, in one part of Africa, and they're willing to go full on and work hard to do it, then that is the right person who has stepped forward to take responsibility to do that. And so as Africans, I think you really need to think about that because you know the future of the continent depends on those who claim it and those who want to protect yeah. it. So if you're not interested in protecting it, somebody who sees the value is going to step forward and say, you know what, I want to be a custodian of this beautiful landmass. I want to be a custodian of this beautiful place. And guess what? We know that nature loves those who care for it, regardless of race, color, religion, creed. Nature doesn't see color. Nature sees you as, do you love me? Do you care for me? And then it embraces you. So you've said something so, so huge. Young people, if you are sitting back, waiting for someone to come and take responsibility, guess what? There's someone on the way, ready and equipped to do it. Oh, and yeah. do it with 100, a big 100, smile on 100. their face. And it doesn't matter race, gender, creed. Remember, we are all African. Yeah. And that is for another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you know, Kwame Nkrumah was a visionary. He was futuristic when he said, African, being African does not mean that you were born in Africa. Being African means that Africa yeah. was born in you. So I think you have to listen to this recording wow. <laughs> once, twice, yeah. maybe three times to really, really hear what was said here because it's magical. And you yeah. know, as we slowly wind down, Benjamin, I wanna thank you so much for your time. You are truly a Youth Deliver Ambassador, custodian of the African continent. And you know, you are so rich in, 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 your, in your wisdom as a young person with so much knowledge. It has been such a breath of, you know, when I talk to young people with so much wisdom and, you know, knowledge and understanding of who they are and the continent, it is so amazing. You know, it is so amazing. And, and I urge you, you know, you, you know, you grownups, you know, with so much wisdom, you know, to understand that you can learn from the young ones. It's okay. It's okay to grab your paper and your pen and write down the wisdom that has been shared, you know, by the young ones. It is okay. It's okay to do it. It's not taking away from your wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> it is okay. I'm repeating this so many times because, you know, like you said, they they lack the ability to listen. And you know, you know, please listen to the, the young people. They have so much wisdom. Please listen to them, and and don't just listen and then walk away, but listen and then yeah. do something about it. Um, and so. You know, before we slowly wind up, I just have one more question for you. Um, and that is, you know, when it comes to the political class in Africa, because we know they hold the keys to a whole lot of things, have they failed to meet the aspirations of the young people on the continent? Or are there steps that you as a young person see that they're actively taken to actually meet the aspirations and needs of the young people? Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a push and pull situation because I, I, I can't say that everyone in the political scene has not, is not doing anything. The people who are actually doing something 
although they are being fought by specific people based on their selfish you know reasons you know and whatever it is that they're trying to gain on a on a personal level so i would say not everybody the people who are doing their part you know to, to try and change um what is what, what is happening in africa so i cannot really blame everyone yeah you know the people who are trying i would say keep on trying keep on pushing you know it's not over until it's over and <laughs> yeah the youth yeah. You know, it's not over till it's over. Because we keep on trying. Yeah. There are many people who have lost their lives in their, in their quest, so which is very sad, you know. And there are people still still here today who are still fighting their fight. You know, they may be gagged, you know, they may be blocked from certain things. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we are not all here to to stay. So <laughs> at some point. It's going to change whether we want it or not. It's going to change. It's just a matter of time. That's Absolutely. What I think. It's just a matter of time. You know, so patience stays also, but it's just a matter of time before everything changes. And we will have the Africa that we are all striving to, to see. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm glad that you took yeah. that approach because I also see the needle moving forward. It's, you don't see it, but I see the needle. It's been pushed forward gradually. And the youth are really... Yeah you know, playing a, a major role in that. They're pushing it forward. When you talk to young people, you know, about their education system, they're looking outwards. They know that this education system that they have, especially in the public schools, they're aware it's, it's limited. You know, when you talk to them, they're like, yeah, after school, I'm doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. On weekends, I'm doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Why are they doing that? School advisors and ministers so, so, of education, they're doing that because so, they know. So funny that you are limiting them so they need to continue to do things by themselves and you have a very good program also for you know for some of our youth who are really interested you know in other things other than just looking at a book cramming some words and then regurgitating that information back our youth are not about that you know i work with young people they are so brilliant and sometimes they're bored of the the, the school structure and they need more. They are so hungry. Yeah. And now they're embracing these other external avenues to fill in that space that actually feeds their soul, their heart, their passions, their talents. Tell us about the program that you're doing with young people and why you even thought, you know, we should do this and who are, are embracing this program, you know. So first I'll say um, the program, of course, is called Youth, it's called Youth to Deliver. Um, I, I, I have a passion for, 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 for children, you know, I think children are intelligent beyond what we actually can comprehend, you know, how they communicate, how they choose to interact with different things. I think it's, it's, it's amazing how they approach life mm -hmm. and it's a very pure and innocent way of, of approaching life. And I think there's a lot, even as adults, you know, that we can learn from children mm -hmm. because even in those sessions, the, 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 the few sessions that we have had so far, you know, um, I got to realize and experience the mind of a child. You know, there are things that they tell me, there are things that they suggest that are out of this world. Absolutely. You would not even be able to imagine. You know, you would not be able to imagine, you know. So, um, as I said, um, we try and focus more on the STEAM approach, right? So we incorporate science, we incorporate technology, we incorporate the environment, we incorporate arts in the session, we incorporate mathematics. Because in everything, there's also mathematics, you know. There's the aspect of 
um, spacing between plants. You know, they need to understand that different plants and different things need to be spaced in a particular way, regardless whether you're looking at your vegetable, whether you're looking at trees, whether you're looking at whatever you look at, there's spacing involved. You know, there's the aspects of water. There's a calculation that comes to water, you know, that, that comes with water. Not all plants need to consume the same amount of water, you know. So we try to incorporate that. And as they go, they get to understand that, whoa, you know, I'll give an example. We had a session yesterday. And in that session, you know, um, there was a question that I posed to them, which was, do plants move? And most of them say, no, plants do not move. <laughs> and and I, I asked, why do you think so? They said, because we just look at them and they're stationary. But until you immerse yourself in the world of plants, oh, then you yes. actually understand that these are actually these are actually living things and they play a very serious, serious part in our in, in our existence. You know, so they got to understand that. And um, I had a I had a little kid in the session who just happened to be, you know, passing by in the session, and <laughs> he actually he actually answered the question for them. Now these were 13, 14 year old children, but this child was about seven years old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he actually answered the question and he said they moved through the roots. And I was like, whoa, how did you even know? And he was like, but the root goes and it looks for water and, it, and that's how it moves. <laughs> and I said, wow. So you cannot, you cannot limit, it's not about age. No. It's not about anything, you know? And, and they also, they got, they got to understand that there you know, are classes of plants. You know, you have your shrubs, you have your trees, you have your succulents, you have all different types of plants. And yeah, just like you have different human beings, you have tall human beings, you have short ones, exactly. you have yeah. darker you are, ones, you lighter white, ones. You yeah. White, black, brown, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Blonde, blonde, brunette, redhead. Yeah, short, fat, you know? slim, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, so diverse. So in the, in, in the world of plants, it's, it's the same thing. They, they're different. They interact differently. They need different things. You know, they communicate in different ways. So at the end of the day, um, they got to see, uh, they got to understand. And the example we use is climbers. Climbers actually survive based on other plants, you know, by use of their tendrils. And mm -hmm. they grasp on objects, they grasp on other plants. And that is, that is, their, that is their way of movement. That is their way of survival. That's their way of surviving because as they're gripping on other plants and as they're gripping on objects, they're all striving. It's, it's also survival for the fittest. Because <laughs> if, 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 so if even in the plant life, we have some help. If you really don't want to survive. Yeah. Yeah, it's survival for the fittest. Everyone is trying to struggle to look for sunlight, you know, because that's Yeah, how and for nutrients. Food. That's why some plants have to be put, you know, they have to distance them. Otherwise, they, they fight exactly. for the nutrients. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, because without sunlight, they cannot manufacture anything. So there's, there's science to it. You know, chlorophyll has to be produced. You know, the root is looking for water. The root is looking for resources, minerals. It, 
it's a world on its own. And when you immerse yourself into this world, you know, you take you you take an example of of something as something like sage, for example. If you have sage in your in, in, in your in your house, it purifies the air. Sage has crazy capabilities, you know, but we just don't know. Plants absorb harmful rays, you know. So when you see someone with a plant indoors, don't just, it's not that they're crazy. Some people actually know what exactly they're doing, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, 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 and plants also interact with you as an individual, okay? If you have bad energy, you may be sitting down and wondering, oh, my plant is not thriving. It's not that it's not thriving. It's feeding off bad energy from you, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Benjamin, and slow that, down. And, Some people are going to be shedding yeah. tears today because they, yeah, they always say, oh, yeah, you know, and, you have a green thumb, yeah. but now you're saying it's not about the green thumb. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that you just uh, have bad energy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, those ones, those ones, um, yeah, I'm telling you, the plants actually, and they actually know you. They actually know you because you're the person who constantly interacts with it. So it's open to you interacting with it, you know? So at the end of the day, if a stranger, for example, walks into your house, depending on the type of plant that you have, it could cringe, you know, plants also cringe. Because they're like, whoa, who is, who is this? You know, who's this? You know, why are you in my environment? How did you get here? You have bad energy, you have both bad mojo. So the plants may actually dismiss you also. And it's like, no, I'm not willing to interact with you. So it's a crazy world, you know, and the only thing, the only, yeah, so what I'm trying to do is immerse children into this world so that they can understand, because this world plays a huge role into even their own existence, you know. So that is what I would say the program is about. And Yo, you just got a taste of the program. program. Isn't it you know, awesome? You, just hearing how Benjamin talks about the plan. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, you know, I always tell people like when you want to know how passionate someone is, you will know. Like you will know, you will know, you will know. Like he's already telling you, he's dropped so many gems, you know. So all of you, I know some people are going to take this personally. Please do not just work on your energy. It can be done. Because Benjamin now is saying, you know, all those people, Benjamin, who say, you know what, thank you have a green thumb, or Benjamin, you have a green thumb. Now you've debunked that myth. It's a myth. It's not a green thumb. It's just your energy might be a bit funky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, you should pick yeah, plants with a purpose. You know, you, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, I always say, like, yeah, you know, if you, you have know. a cactus, you know, the succulents, those are really good. Go research them, see what they do. Those are really good. And then, you know, like he mentioned sage, but you know what, yeah. we're not going to go too much into what, you know, which plants or what to do and all that good stuff. I think, you know, you should reach out to Benjamin. We'll share the contacts at some point. You will get everything. And then, you know, if you're somewhere in Africa <laughs> or in Kenya, more specifically, maybe your children can join the STEAM Ed, you know, program. And STEAM Ed actually stands for Science, Technology, Environment, Arts, and Math. Okay, so they're learning about the environment, they're learning about their arts, and everything is centered around science and math. Okay, so um, it's really fun, and they learn a lot. And, you know, as you were talking, Benjamin, about all the emotions, how plants express themselves, you know, they sing, they dance. Yo, plants are amazing. And, you know, I recommend everybody reads the book, The Secret Life of Plants. 
you will be so amazed. Read. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's an amazing, that's an amazing, it's an amazing book. Yeah. You know, that's one of the books I read that, that, that yeah. opened my eyes to the world of plants. And I was like, whoa, whoa. The secret life of plants real. is amazing. Yeah. And one thing that I'm going to say with regards to, you know, when you talk about how alive plants are, you know, they have all these emotions, they're happy, they're sad, you know, they also sometimes go on survival mode, you know, they're, they're, they're doing everything that, you know, so-called animals, you know, you know, including human beings, poor mammals, you know, do homo sapiens and all that. And, 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 yeah, and, and also, you'll find that plants are not just, they're actually even carnivorous plants. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, they're plants that eat insects. Like mm -hmm. or something like that. Yes. So they are yeah. carnivorous plants, you know, not all plants are just, uh, I guess they also have vegetarians and, 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 and carnivorous <laughs> plants. <laughs> oh, God, you need to attend yeah. Benjamin's workshops. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, well, you know, it's, this it's, is so important crazy. because, you know, what we're saying, you need to know when you understand the secret life of plants, when you understand about animals, plant life, everything in its entirety, you will not be saying, oh, I'm vegan, I'm vegetarian, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm against people who eat meat and who eat, you know, when you understand, when you're talking like that to faith, I'm looking at you like you're also taking the life force of a plant that is alive and well, breathing, dancing, having fun, celebrating, you know, you are eating a plant and you're also eating an animal. Human beings like plants, we, our life force is sustained by another life force or source of energy, regardless whether it's plant or animal. And like he said, some plants are carnivorous. So what are you going to say that the plants yeah. don't respect animal yeah. rights? I'm not going to go, go, go too much into that. <laughs> but I'm just saying this, that we have to learn to do things without judgment and to do yeah. things ethically. And there are principles when you consume something. You have to respect everything you consume, yeah. whether it's a piece of salad on your plate or a little piece of fish on your plate or a little piece of anything, fruit on your plate. You have to respect that life force. You have to show gratitude before you consume it Hence, that's why people pray and give thanks. You have to do everything consciously without judgment because everything here is alive and well. And when you plant that salad because you're vegan or vegetarian, guess what? The sister salad is looking at you. Like Benjamin said, the plants cringe. You know, they also look at you. <laughs> you all need to attend the workshop. And before you attend the workshop, yeah. there's a requirement, yeah. reading list requirement, the secret life of plants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I will tell you that our young people are having fun at the workshop. You can tell they're learning so much cool stuff. And Benjamin, before we head out, uh, thank yeah. you so much once again for your time. I want you to, you know, share your last thoughts and tell us how people can join the program, where they can sign up, how they can register and all that good stuff. Um, I think um, uh, for now, I think they can just reach out uh, to me directly. You know, and then I can share the details of sign up. You know, I can share details about the, what, what the program is about, the program outline, the different sessions that we have, you know, um, the dates of the sessions, uh, all the information that they would like to get. I think they can reach out to me directly or by email, depending on what is convenient for them. And um, yeah, I think they will get to understand more. And as we grow, 
because it's still a very young program, you know. As we grow, of course, even the communication will get easier, you know. Yeah, and they will be able to reach me on different platforms. Yeah, yeah. and 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 and, yeah. and um, where can they get information about your products and your farming? Because I know that you have fantastic, you know, superfoods and some really cool products out there. How can they get those? Um, we are currently in the process of setting up our website, so unfortunately, um, they can't really get them off the website right now. But uh, pretty soon, um, everything will be online, and they'll be able to order their products uh, online. Um, so for the products as well, you know, um, I think uh, our social media pages will be up soon, so they can reach out to us um, on social media uh, and also their email. If you'd like to place an order, if you'd like to just buy, and if you'd like to know more about it, not just about money only, you know, you can always just also just reach out to find out more, you know. Yeah, and which yeah. email should so they write? Partner, which email should they use? Are, um, they can use bewa uh, uh, -E at uh, gwsc.org. Mm -hmm. That is for the STEM ed, everybody, um, because you know I'm the founder of the Global Women's Social Enterprise. That, that is, so that is mostly for the STEM ed. So yeah. you can actually reach out yes. at bewa uh, um, at gwsc.org. And for the products and the farming product, because you have fantastic and for products, the, and, where should they write, reach out and to for the, and for the And for the product, you can reach out to me directly through my Gmail. That's uh, bwalgwe, W-A-L-G-W-E, at gmail.com. Yeah. And I will okay. be able to punish them with uh, all the information they need. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Benjamin. It's really been a pleasure, you know, um, talking to you today. It's been yeah. so engaging. I'm sure people will enjoy this conversation. You have been listening yeah. to Benjamin Walgwe, who is the CEO of Benjawar East Farm. He's also the founder, co-founder of the Kitch Kitchen, and he's a STEM ed with a program called The Youth Deliver. So thank you so much. And I will let Ben have the last word before we head out of here because he's the master of fantastic quotes. And I want us to get a treat before we leave. Thank you so much. Well, today I will not use one of my quotes. I think it will just be a direct message to, you know, to parents, leaders, and anyone in position that can make a change, you know. To support the youth you know many 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 children have an interest in the environment and in nature um, though priority sometimes is given to other things you know that we as a society think are more important than our environment or nature or you know but i'd actually ask everyone who is in a position parents leaders whatever to actually just you know Try and try and give them a chance. Try and understand what their passions are. Try and understand what their, what, what the children's interests are, and try and not try and also help them understand what the environment is about. You know, because this is what sustains us. You know, as, as human beings. And without that knowledge, and without interacting and getting to understand what our environment is about, then I think I, I think it's very important. That's what I would say. You know, and that's the message I would give to everyone out there who's listening. You know, pay attention, pay attention, because kids have an, children have a very interesting mind. 
and they're very curious about the environment and nature and so many things, science, you know, mathematics, art, they're, they're, they're interested. And it's not always about my kid has to be an engineer, my kid has to be this, you know. Agriculture has been looked down upon for a very long time as a poor man, you know, profession. But it really isn't because, no. as you see, there are large, large companies making billions and billions of dollars, yeah. especially in agriculture. So there's a lot of money to be made in, ag in agriculture, farming. There's a lot, a lot of money to be made. All we have to do is embrace it. And I think that is the limit. Thank you so much. And we all got to eat. <laughs> so with that being said, thank you so exactly. much, Benjamin. Have a lovely, lovely rest of your day. To all our listeners, please feel free to listen to this again and again, share it with other young people. You know, yeah. if it resonates with yeah. you, we would love to hear from you. Um, and if you are a young person doing some amazing things in your community that you would like to share with us, we would love to invite you to join us for our youth delivery series where we will showcase the work that you do. And we'll talk about all the, you know, the cool stuff that you want to implement on the continent known as Africa and globally as well. Feel free to reach out as well. So thank you so much and have a great day. Goodbye.